Tonight we go back to the book of the Acts of, of the Apostles. The book of the Acts of the Apostles, part 5. So far we have seen two of the four crucial things that must comprise proper discipleship before a person or persons being discipled can be effectively used by the Holy Spirit to perform acts for God. The first is teaching the life, ministry, and doctrines of Christ to the new believer in Christ, that is the disciple. And the second is the demonstration of what has been taught by the teacher or discipler for the disciple to see. The teaching is not structured in terms of duration and syllabus. Rather, it is based on the capacity of each individual being discipled to assimilate and apply what is being taught. In other words, whilst it may take three years to disciple somebody effectively, it may take five or ten to disciple some other person. It depends on the capacity of that person to assimilate, to grasp, and to apply what is being taught. Also, the demonstration is not choreographed or prearranged. Rather, it is the response of the discipler to life's challenges and circumstances in the course of everyday living. There has to be interaction, relationship between the discipler and the discipled, so that the discipled can observe firsthand how the discipler handles various circumstances of life in humility, purity, and charity as they arise in the course of daily living. Just as children learn by replicating what they have observed of their parents and older siblings, mannerisms, and responses to situations, so also new believers in Christ, that is those being discipled, will pick up conducts, attitudes, and responses of the maturing and matured believers in Christ around them. Hence, every believer in Christ has a responsibility to imitate Christ in all things, lest he or she be in danger of leading these little ones astray. God forbid. The essence of Christian discipleship must be to raise disciples of Christ, not disciples of men, or disciples of ministries, or disciples of denominations. Christ must be the focus. So the discipler must himself imitate Christ so that the disciples can imitate Christ as they imitate him. Please understand, the crucial thing is to imitate who? Christ. So even though I am following somebody, I must also be sure that that person is following Christ. So I need to know what the word of God is. I'm not absorbed of knowing the word of God just because I say I'm following somebody. So tonight we want to go straight to the word of God um, and we take two texts, Ephesians chapter 4 from verse 11 to 32, Ephesians 4, 11 to 32, and James chapter 1, 21 to 25. James 1, 21 to 25. So we start with Ephesians chapter 4, from verse 11 to 32. Ephesians 4, 11 to 32. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. 25. Therefore, put in the way line, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun 
go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Praise the name of the Lord. James chapter 1, from verse 21 to 25. James chapter 1, from 21 to 25. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. The main objective of discipleship is not the setting up of a school of discipleship, where disciples receive a certificate upon graduation. Rather, it is so that disciples can live as Christ lived here on earth. That is, they are to talk like Christ talked, walk like Christ walked, and do like Christ did. Our scripture texts bring out this essence. That is, having been taught and having seen the demonstration of how to live as Christ lived, the new believer in Christ, that is the person being, being discipled, must likewise live in like manner. So it emphasizes the fact that it is not just about being a hearer of the word, but being what? A doer of the work. It emphasizes in the other place also the things that we need to do in Ephesians chapter 4. Those who used to steal, steal no more. Go and start working. You also be somebody who can help someone in need. Don't become a welfare case forever. Do something. Don't be angry and then sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. There are many things it begins to speak to us about. And this is where we want to come to now. This third part. This third prong. Which is about the new disciple. Or the new believer or the disciple. Now living the life of Christ. That's the third prong. You know we mentioned four prongs. We've done the first two. Now we're talking of the third one. Now this third one. Which, we have, which is the same thing. Before the Acts part 2.3. Before the Acts 2.3. For the disciple to be able to live as Christ lived. And before the new believer in Christ can work miracles. He or she must possess and manifest the nature of Christ, which is the result of what we know as the fruit of the Spirit. Otherwise, he or she will, at best, be a well-taught Bible student with nothing more to show than a certificate of completion. This is a case of having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Indeed, it is only a person with the nature of Christ who can truly live as Christ lived. Thus, we now discuss the third prong of proper discipleship. The new believer in Christ, the person being discipled, must possess the nature of Christ in order to live like Christ. May the Holy Spirit guide us through this discussion in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This discussion is going to be held in, we're going to have this discussion over a period of at minimum three meetings, if not more, but minimum three meetings. What we want to discuss here is the matter that addresses why the church of God is the way it is today. There are many people who are unable to live as Christ lived. Not that they don't want to. They want to. But they just are unable to live as Christ lived. So to be able to do as much justice as we should on this, because if we get this right, the rest should be easy for us, living as believers. This is also important for the second prong. Because the discipler, who is demonstrating the life of Christ, must himself have what? The nature of Christ. So this is not something of saying you are copying. No. The nature must be in you. If you put a goat among lions, let's remove the fact that lions will eat the goat. But let's just assume that the lions will not eat the goat and then we, we try and shape the goat like a lion and put him between, in the midst of lions. Do you think that goat can hunt from it? You know, it can't do anything. Will it be able to roar? 
What will what will what do you think the sound of the goat will be? Meh, meh. That's all the goat will be making. It cannot roar like a lion. Why? It doesn't have the heart of a lion. It doesn't have the nature of a lion. So there are many people in church today who still have the old nature of sin in them. And they come to church. And they try to live like a believer should live. But then they get frustrated. Because they are trying their best. The problem is, the nature of Christ is yet to be formed in them. Ephesians 3, 17. This is the prayer that Paul was praying for the church. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Christ has to be formed in you. Has to dwell in your heart. The nature of Christ must be in you. So to aid our study, I've divided it into three parts. The first part is, what was it that God said about the believer acquiring the nature of Christ? I've put that as a heading. You can call that, that heading prophecy. Or the promises or proclamation of God. For me, make it personal. The prophecy of God to me, the promise of God to me, the proclamation of God to me concerning myself and the nature of Christ. That we shall deal with today in this meeting. The next one is the principles governing the nature of Christ in me. Or, if you want to use it, use it the provision that God has made for me to have the nature of Christ. Or the process or procedure. That I must apply to have the nature of Christ. The first one we are going to look at today is the prophecy of God to me concerning me possessing the nature of Christ. His promises to me, his proclamation to me, what he said to me in his word that I will have the nature of Christ. Don't, don't forget when we are doing the three o'clock prayers, we made mention of that, that when God makes a promise, it is as good as done. We must now enter into it in the place of prayer and by faith. The second one, which we'll look at next week, is the principles as documented in the Word of God about how this will come about. What provision did God make in His Word for me? What is the procedure? What is the process that needs to happen to me for this nature to be embedded in me? And then the final one, which may take one meeting or two meetings by itself, is the practice. The practice leaving this nature out. The, pro- the end product. The produce. Having, having looked at the prophecy, the promise, and the, the uh, what do you call it now, and the, the principles underlying this nature. What is the final, the end product of this nature in me? So right away we want to dive into the very first one, which is the prophecy, the promise that God has made, the proclamation that God has made concerning me, concerning you in his word, regarding this nature of Christ in you. In Second Peter chapter 1, Reading verse 3 through to 4. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and verse 4. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through loss. This is the word of God to you. He says, by his divine nature, God has made all things available to us. All things that pertain to what now? Living that life of godliness. Everything that we need to live this life of Christ has been given to us by his divine power. Which comes through our knowledge of Christ. We're not talking of head knowledge, but what now? Intimate knowledge, a relational knowledge, a walking with Christ, a following after Christ. We look at the word of God as we study the word of God. We see in the word, in the gospels particularly, how Christ lived. And we, 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 we attune ourselves in that knowledge to want to live that way. He says that there's a divine power that is given to you when you study how Christ lived. And he said, Lord... You mean this is what the Lord did? He didn't even have a bank account. And yet when he had a need, you met his needs. You make up your mind and say, Lord, this is the life I want to live. The divine power of God applies to you instantly. If there first be a willingness, the ability of God is there to make it happen for you. The, I think the problem is many of us don't focus. We don't even read the word of God. 
And when we read it, it's for some strange promise apart from the one of developing the nature of Christ. Through knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and His virtue, His excellency. There is a power that God used in calling us. And there is a power that He has given whereby we can live. Look, let me explain it to us in as simple terms as I can. There is no body on earth except He is an irresponsible father. Who will send his child to school and expect the child to provide everything that he needs for that school? When your child is going to school, whether nursery or primary, you buy the uniform for the child. Is that not so? You pay the fees. Is that not so? You buy the books, the, the pencil, the bag, everything that that child needs, you provide. In the same way, we are born again. God wants us to be like, this, like his son, Jesus Christ. He has made his provision. He doesn't expect you to, in your own power, try to be like Christ. He has made the provision. He said it in his word. According to his divine power. Look at verse 4. By this divine power, he has, he says, by which have been given to us, by this divine power, we have been given what? Exceedingly great and precious promises. These promises, I mean, if we understood it, when you read exceedingly great, you know the Bible doesn't know how to, the English language doesn't know how to explain some things. So, when the, English, when the English translators came on, they, they had to look for words to try and explain what this promise is. Exceedingly great. That is, if you know anything that is great, it is greater than that thing. And then not only are they exceedingly, not only are these promises exceedingly great, what, are, what else are they? They are precious. Something to be protected, something to be guarded. Promises that God has made. What are these promises? That through these, through what now? The promises, you may be what? Who is a partaker? No, when you say, when, when we use the word partaker, what does that mean? Not just benefit, it's more than benefit. You are a part, taking a part in something. God expects you to be a partaker of his divine nature. That is, you must have a part in his own nature. You must have your nature. That's the promise he has made. Having first what? Escaped. By that divine power, God made you to what? Escape the corruption that is in the world through lost desires, ungoverned, uncultured desires. God had made that provision. But because when we read the Bible, we are looking for promises of healing, promises of health, promises of wealth, promises of car, promises of house, we don't see this. It is this nature, it is what Christ had that made him not have a bank account and still did the work of God. The day he needed to ride a donkey, a donkey was provided. Remember when, he, when they came to arrest him to pay tax? How did he pay the tax? He told Peter, go and catch a fish. The first one that comes up, remove the, there's a coin in the mouth, remove it, go and pay our tax. For you and for me. Let all the noise die. There were, he, he wasn't struggling with things. When he came to feeding the 5,000, he said, you go and get the food now. They said, ah, where are we going to get food to feed us? He said, what do we have? Five, uh, five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish. They bring it. Let the men sit down. Let everybody sit down properly. They sat down and then he lifted up his eyes, thanked God and broke it and everybody fed. Everybody, everybody was well fed. At the end of the day, they packed how many baskets full? Twelve. As if to say, this is not a, it's not a fluke. Another time, four thousand people came. Four thousand men were present. This time around, they had seven pieces of, seven loaves of bread and a few pieces of fish. Few small fishes. In fact, when they, when they asked the disciples, ah, there's only seven loaves though, and a few. These were the same disciples who saw him use five loaves, five, and two pieces of fish to feed five thousand. Now the people are smaller. They are fewer rather. And the loaves of bread are more. The fish more. Yet, they were able to say, what can this do? So you can see how unbelief works in many of us. We have seen the miracles of God. And yet there's unbelief in our lives. It is this nature that God wants us to have. It removes beggarliness from our lives. It removes dependence on the world from our lives. It makes us able to depend on Christ and Christ alone. It says that having escaped what the corruption... Look, let me tell you. You see this world is corrupt and it's going to get more... And In fact, every passing day, every age that we enter, it gets more and more corrupt. Just listening to the presidential election things in the U.S., is, is making us is, is making one to be frightened. The kind of things you hear from people who say they are presidential candidates speaking, and you wonder where is this world going to? If these are the people that we are going to choose, then we have a problem. Just come into your own country and hear what your leaders are saying. It jars the ears, and we have many young people who are growing up. That is what they are seeing. You can imagine what they will become. 
I feel sorry for the likes of Jedidiah and uh, Deborah in their time. We would have gone by them. What the world would be like. Only God knows. The world gets corrupt more and more. Because the desire of man for evil is insatiable. I think it's in Genesis, is it Genesis 11 or so that God, that God looked and said, Genesis 6, that said, the heart of man is always to do evil. There is nothing. This one, they will never, they can't change. So God's desire is what? To give us his nature. He, that is the word he has. That's the promise he has made. Here. He does not expect you to live like Christ with the old nature. In Romans chapter 8 verse 29. Romans chapter 8 verse 29. The Bible says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. All those that God was going to choose, there was a one principal criterion that they must meet. That is, they must be conformed towards the image of Christ. So that divine nature and the image of Christ are one and the same. God did not choose you to come and maintain your old nature. He chose you to be transformed and be conformed to the image or nature of Christ. So that Christ cannot become the eldest brother in a family where every member of the family look like their father and their eldest brother. This prophecy that God gave, it dates back to the Old Testament. In Ezekiel chapter 36, there are many of them but I'm just picking a few here. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 25 to 27. Ezekiel 36 from 25 to 27. This is God speaking. He was speaking about today. Speaking about the New Testament believer. Even though some people thought he was speaking about the nation of Israel. But he was speaking actually of the spiritual Israel of today. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness And from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. A new nature. When you read heart in the Bible, other than in most times, I don't, I, I can't recall where the Bible mentions the pumping, the heart that pumps blood as heart. It speaks of a nature. It speaks of your being, the centrality of who you are. So when God says, "I will give you a new heart," He's talking of a new nature and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. Now. Let's be careful when we use this word flesh. This flesh here is talking about your body and not the flesh which is the desire of the old man. And give you a heart of flesh. We are going to see this explanation later. When he says the heart of flesh, he's talking of a heart that can be molded. When we, were, when we were unbelievers, what heart did we have? We had a stony heart, a hard heart. We are going to see it later. When we are going to close, we are going to see as it relates... Whereas in, in Matthew 19, when the Lord Jesus was talking about divorce or no divorce, we're going to see that heart there. In verse 27, it says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you. If you, look at that, if you look at these verses, you will see the I will, I will. Who is going to do it? God. is the promise that God has made. He says, I will do it. So even within this prophecy, we see the provision. That God has made. I will cleanse. I will, I, I will sprinkle unto you. Uh, I will, then, then I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness. And, you, and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Why will I be able to keep God's judgment and do them? Because of all that God has done. But God is not going to pin you down and force that thing into you. You, you, have, to, you have to make yourself available to receive what God wants to give to you. So the reason why we will be able to keep God's judgments, God's commandments, God's word, why we will be able to do as God wants us to do, is because of what God has put in there. And God is not going to force himself on us. We must make ourselves available. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, when Israel thought that what God was talking about was the circumcision of the male genitalia, God was saying that 
that is not what God is discussing. Moses, speaking by the Spirit of God, mentioned in Psalm chapter 30, verse 6. He said, And the Lord your God will circumcise what? Your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. All this, I love you, I love you, that we sing to God, it cannot be done if your heart has not been circumcised, if your nature has not been changed, you cannot love God. There is nobody that can love God if his nature has not changed. This is, the, this is the challenge that confronts us as believers. Our love for God is emotional. It's not spiritual. For the men it is usually intellectual. For the women it's an emotional thing. But for the believer it's a spiritual thing. And the Bible asks the question, we are going to look at that later, where it talks about the, 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 the indicator that a person loves God. It comes down to this matter of the change of nature. In Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7 verse 51, when Stephen was, was speaking to the children of Israel at his defense, he said, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always do what? Resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do ye. The uncircumcised in heart will always, not sometimes, always resist the Holy Spirit. By the time we look at the provision in our next meeting, you will see that one of the provisions that God has made is that we should walk in the Spirit. So if you are resisting the Spirit, can you walk in the Spirit? You cannot. The solution, if we are not to resist the Holy Spirit, is to be circumcised in the heart. Is to remove the outer flesh of the heart that does not allow us to obey God. There is no body, no human being that is born of a woman that can obey God because of his nature. His nature does not permit him to obey God. There are some scriptures that would have looked at. Let's, let's look at them. Let's, let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and read from verse 5 to verse 9. Romans 8, 5 to 9. It says, For those who live according to the flesh, that is, who are led by the flesh, who are led by the old sinful nature, they set their minds on the things of what? The flesh, the things that the flesh likes. But those who live according to the Spirit, who do not resist the Holy Spirit, but who follow the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death or leads to death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It leads you to life. The life of, of, of godliness that God had promised is in the Spirit. In verse 7 it says, Because the carnal mind is enmity. What does that mean? It's hostile. It's hostile against God. It's hostile to God. He may not be openly hostile, but in his heart he's hostile. There's nothing that God says that he will do. He will do the opposite. He will look for a reason, even if he's in church. Even as he's sitting down and hearing the message, he's saying in his heart, for me, I'm going to do my own. You can preach yourself blue. He's not going to change him one bit because of the nature that is in him. He says, for it is not subject. The carnal mind is not what? Subject cannot be submissive to the law of God, nor indeed can be. It can never. The word of God, it can never be subject to the word of God. No matter what you try, use hell to frighten him. He cannot be subject. It's just a, a, a short while when he forgets about the impact of hell and is doing it. It's like when we, when we are traveling. We are traveling at a particular speed. Then you see an accident. What normally happens? You slow down. For how many minutes, please? Ten, ten is too long. One or two minutes, the next thing yeah, the man has increased. And you wonder, you didn't see that accident. You saw dead people. He continues to speed. What is the nature of man? He, he cannot, he is not subject to God. He's not subject to the law of God, nor the law of men. That is why senators are the ones that break the laws. The people in authority are the ones who break the laws. The people who should keep the law are the ones who break it. Look at what we are hearing about judges. The, the institution of, of, of judges is a revered institution. But the fact that we revert is just like what is happening in the church today. Pastors are supposed to be respected. Is that not so? But do you respect pastors now? You can't. When you hear some stories, you say, ah, 
I beg all pastors. And you say, what do you say about every pastor? They are all the same. It's the same thing. One bad apple has done what? Spoiled the entire bunch. So that's what is happening. The carnal mind cannot be subject to God or the law of God. Even if he tried, can you? And you can put yourself in that picture. How many times you have made New Year's resolution as a Christian? On January 1, before the 5th of January, what has happened to that resolution? Everything has, you, you yourself dismantled it. I said, don't worry, next year I will do another one. In verse 8 it says, So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Do you see why the nature of God must be in you? That nature of sin, there is no how much you try. You can sweep the church, you can clean the chairs, you can preach your best sermon, you can beat the instruments until the drums are burst. Go and practice how to play the keyboard so that you are better than the best keyboardist in the world. As long as that nature is the old sinful nature, God is not pleased. It's in the Bible. I didn't say it. It's not pleased. So do you see the need to change the nature? It is the nature that is crucial to God more than the act. That's why we said before the act, the nature must first change. Remember when the Lord said in Matthew chapter 7, that in that day many people will come to me and say, but we healed, but we cast out demons, but we preach, we prophesy in your name. What did he say? He said, I will say to them, I know you not. Depart from me. You walk out of iniquity. You did what was not authorized. Why? They were acting in the flesh, not by the spirit. And verse 9 says, but you are not in the flesh. But in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Can you imagine somebody who says he's a Christian, who goes to church and says he doesn't understand what they talk about, the spirit of God. What is this spirit people are talking about? Is he a Christian? Cannot be. He cannot be. No matter how much he tries to squeeze himself in. He cannot be. Matthew chapter 19. Now we are going to that subject of divorce or no divorce. And you will see the, anybody who is entertaining divorce at first and then can go through with it. You will see why. The Pharisees from verse 3 of Matthew 19. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? The people who were testing him, giving hypothetical reasons or cases, they themselves, you can see the flesh in them. And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? You didn't read it? So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. Verse 7, they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of what? The hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not, that was never the intention of God. So that when you become a believer, before you start discussing marriage, what you should be discussing is what? Your nature. Because if you keep the old nature, it's just a matter of time you'll be divorced. Nothing will keep you. If you like, have the best, the, the most lovable children in the world, that divorce will happen. Because you are not going to be one. The only way you can be one is by the Spirit. And when we talk of unity here, when we talk of being one, we're talking of a unity of purpose. The man and his wife must have the same purpose, must be going in the same direction, must be going to the same location. When a wife wants to live for the world, and the husband wants to live for God, you know, you already have a, you have a, you already have a divorce. It's already taking place. The pastor comes to preach, and inside of his heart, he is grieving. He's crying because of the wife he has married. The reverse is also true. You see some women, they want to serve God. They love God. In their hearts, they, anything the husband says they, should, they are willing to do to keep the marriage. But the man is not interested. The woman sometimes is ashamed to come to church because she knows they will ask, your husband and uncle... She cannot explain. She wears dark shades to church. It's not fashion that she's doing. She has been beaten by the man and she doesn't want any, the people in church to know that she has been beaten. Many people are absorbing things. But the root cause is what? The nature. In verse 9, it says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. So there are many adulterers in churches. But you know, we gloss over those things. But God does not. Imagine when the Bible says that the person who possesses a nature, a carnal nature, a carnal mind, 
cannot please God. So imagine a divorcee who is carrying the Bible and preaching. Is he pleasing God? Absolutely not. Because the nature has soiled everything. Can you imagine you want to make somebody, let's say you want to make him a governor, but he's, he has incontinence in his bowels. He's forever poo-pooing. Can you present that man as your governor? His nature has, there's something that is wrong. There's a command there. That nature must be dealt with. If that nature is not reversed, altered, changed, then we have a problem. And the word of God has proclaimed this. In John chapter 14, verse 15 through to 17, we reverse now to what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, that the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and those of your descendants to love what? The Lord, that you may live. He says, if you love me, what do you do? Keep my commandments. Now, that seems to be a very simple thing. Is that not so? All you have to do is keep the word of God. Is that not so? But you know that you are unable to keep the word of God. You cannot. It's not possible. Not with that old nature. You can't. So what does the Lord say in the next verse? Verse 16. He says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. What is this helper coming to do? Eh? What is he coming to do now? Eh? He wants to help you to be able to obey to be able to love God. Do you understand? So the Holy Spirit is this helper. That he may abide with you for how long? Forever. Because if the Holy Spirit is with you for one day, you can obey God for that one day. The next day, you are gone. So he abides with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, the world can welcome him. Because the world hates truth. So the world can welcome the Spirit of truth. Because it neither sees him, nor knows him. When we talk of know him, now we're not talking of just head knowledge. Remember, we're also talking of intimacy, right? Even though, in terms of head knowledge, the world doesn't know the spirit of God. That's why you can ask somebody, I beg, what spirit are you talking of? But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, then he was speaking of a future event. Now that event has already taken place. So for us, it is, and he is in you. Do you understand that now? Now, so the work of this helper, the Holy Spirit, once you are born again, he comes into you. What we express mostly is when the Spirit of God comes upon us with power to do. But what he is focusing on at the beginning is to come where? Into you, to make you to become, to work in you the nature of Christ. Please go to Romans chapter 5 verse 5. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God, not this so, the love of God has been what? Poured out in where? Our hearts. By whom? By the Holy Spirit who was given to... When the Holy Spirit was given to us, when, Christ, when we got born again, the first thing that happened was the Spirit of God came in. And when He came in, what did He come with? The love for God. What is that love? What does it translate to? Obedience. We obey God because we love Him. Do you understand? The difference between the New Testament believer and the Old Testament believer is that the Old Testament believer obeyed God out of fear. But we obey God out of love. And not the love we have with our old nature, but the love that has come as a result of the new nature. These are the, these are the promises that God has made to you and I. That we are going to have His nature. We are going to serve Him with His nature. Let me, let me, let me show you one or two scriptures and then we'll close. Luke chapter 1, from verse 68, I believe it is. Yes, from verse 68. This was John the Baptist's father. After his mouth was opened, when John was named. From 68, it says, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, note this now, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without what? Fear. They will serve God in fear that God will kill them. We serve God in love. Now, look at verse 75. How are we to serve God now? In holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. That's how we serve God. God wants us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. 
But if the Spirit of God is not in you and you are not submissive to that Spirit, your worship is false. Do you understand? What makes your worship true, truth and acceptable to God is the Spirit of God whom we are submissive to. So when a man is living contrary to the Word of God, even if he's preaching the best message, he's an enemy of God. He can read the scriptures and turn it as he wants to turn it. He has become an enemy of God. And God will not listen to him. So that is why not only has God prophesied to us, made promises and proclamations, he has also made a provision. Like I said, we're going to look at the provisions in our next meeting. But we'll just take a look at this one. I want to look at it as both a promise and a provision. First Peter chapter 1 verse 2. First Peter chapter 1 verse 2. Let me read from verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Gal- Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for what? Obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you, and peace be multiplied. I, I want to look at this verse 2 in some various translations. Let me, read, let me read it from the easy to read. It says, God planned long ago to choose you and to make you his holy people, which is the Spirit's work. Who is making you a holy people now? That's the Holy Spirit's work. God wanted you to obey him and to be made clean by the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Your obedience is based on the work of the Spirit in you. If the Spirit of God is not working in you, you cannot obey God. So sanctification, what we call sanctification, is an action of the Holy Spirit that enables you and I to be obedient to God and thus manifest our love for God. Because it is in loving God that you obey Him. Let me read from the Good News Bible. It says, verse 2 says, You were chosen according to the purpose of God, the Father, and were made a holy people by His Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be purified by His blood. Are, are you seeing what the work of His Holy Spirit is in our lives? So that for as much as we want to obey God, we will, we will, we will discover that we cannot accept we are changed. Let me read the message. It says, God the Father has His eye on each of you and has determined by the work of the Spirit to keep you obedient through the sacrifice of Jesus. For us to be struggling with the Holy Spirit puts us in the same category as Israel of old. What were they doing? What was Israel of old doing? They were resisting the Holy That is what we, when we are struggling, when we are struggling with the Holy Spirit, saying, No, I don't want to do that. We, it is a sign that the old man is still alive. Next week we shall look at the provision that God has made for us to have this nature of His. But it's important to know that with God. When God wants to do something, the first thing he does is to talk about it, to prophesy. The reason is this, once God speaks on a matter, it is as good as done. Do you understand? But where that matter now concerns a third party that is an individual, then the individual's cooperation is needed for that thing to take place. Do you understand that? So this evening, we try to make it short for today. We have, we have seen that if we are going to live like Christ lived, talk like Christ talked, walk like Christ walked, act like he acted, be humble, be holy, have love for all men like Christ had love for all men, and then be able to do the work of God so that the work of God is acceptable and pleasing to God, then the nature, the old nature of man must be removed. And the new nature of Christ must come. And we're not speaking from our head. It's a promise that God has made. Once God has made a promise, and we enter into that promise, it takes place in our lives. So this evening, what we want to do this evening is to pray that what God has promised concerning us, that number one, through His divine power, His exceeding great and precious promises, that we will be partakers of His own nature, having done away with the corruption of this world through lust, that that thing will happen in our lives. That, that that predestination that God had made according to foreknowledge, that all of us whom he brought in, whom we brought out rather from the world into his kingdom, that we will be conformed to the image of his dear son, that it will take place. That that heart circumcision, that procedure that God wants to do in our lives, which he has promised that it will take place. That we will indeed, be lo- we will indeed love God and manifest that love in our acts of obedience 
to his word. I mean, let me give you a very simple illustration. If, the, if God, in the word of God, makes it clear that no man prophesying with his head covered is prophesying to God or prophesying on behalf of God, then a man says, because they made him a bishop, he puts a cap on the head. What nature is working in him? The old nature is, is in him. That is the truth of the matter. When a woman prophesies with her hair uncovered and does it as best as she can, and then wants to quote scripture and say, his, his culture is this, when it is written in the word of God, then there's a problem. Can that woman be pleasing to God? She can, look, she can have the largest ministry in the world. It doesn't mean jack to God. Just go and read Revelations chapters 2 and 3. And you will see what God was saying there. In fact, let's close with, let's close with uh, Revelation 2, 1 to 5. And you will see what God said about the Ephesian church from verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, This thing says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And I found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience. And have labored for my name's sake. And have not become weary. Beautiful qualities. Is that not so? Many of us don't even, even possess a, 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 a tenth of this. Verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you. That you have left your first love. There are many translations to that. Some say they've abandoned God. Some say so they abandoned the love they had for God at the beginning. Any which way is the same thing. Why is the Lord, why is He not looking at the work they are doing? Why is He not considerate of their labor? Why is He not looking at their patience, their perseverance, the fact that they hate evil? Why does He, why does he take offense as love? You remember exams? In those when I was a lecturer, I used to set exams. I'll give them 20 questions. Question 1 is compulsory and carries 70 marks. So if you like, do questions 2. To 20. You are on you are failed. You must do question one. Do you understand? This is this is question one. If you like, do any other thing. If your love for God is absent, you have failed. That's what the Lord is telling them. Look at verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first. Do you see the first works? What are the first works? Love God. How do I love God? The Spirit of God, allow Him to do His work. Let Him circumcise you, remove the old man, throw it out, and put the new man in. When we read Ephesians 4, it says, Therefore, put off the old man. The old man must be dismantled completely and taken out, and the new man put in. It says, Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have. See another, he's encouraging them, just go and get love. That you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So you can see the efficient church, they did a lot of good things. But the first work was missing. There was no love for God. I don't want you to get to heaven, or rather, leave this world and discover that you're not even going near heaven. Why? Because that first work is missing. The love of God is not there. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was not permitted to do the work. It's not that he didn't come, he came. You refused to. Do you know how? How painful it is to a parent or to parents to send their children to school and at the end of the, the school year they receive the result failed. Parents are wondering, what, what, where did we go wrong? What were you doing in school all this while? Let's not leave this world only to discover that the number one thing that we needed, we missed. Verse 7, Revelation 2. He who has an ear, let him hear. He said, you don't need two ears to hear this one, just one. Let him hear what the Spirit says to who? Ah, I want to hear to who? Uh, no, but from the Bible to who? But who is he talking to? Who was he talking to in the beginning? Who did he say the, the, they should write the letter to in the beginning? To the church of Ephesus. Why is he now saying churches? Do you remember what we said when we were doing part one? That whatever God says to one, which he has made public, he says to all. So even though he's writing to the Ephesian church of that age, he's also writing to you and I today. If you have an ear, hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to it the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I don't want to go into the details of the tree of life. You know that was the tree that was in the midst of the garden along with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And instead of Adam to have eaten from that tree because he was not banned from it, which one was he eating? The tree of knowledge. And then God now gathered and said, mm, in the way they are, if they eat that tree, they will be evil forever. So it was, it was a mercy for God to remove to guard that tree. So in the end, at the end of the age, 
when you and I go to be with God, by the grace of God, we will again partake of it. This time around, when we partake of it, we will partake of it. How? With the nature of Christ. We can now eat it and live forever. Because we will forever be good. Do you understand? But if you are to have an evil nature and eat this, you will be evil for nothing can change it again. There is hope for you and I. Because we have not partaken of this. Because Adam did not partake of this. But there is no hope for Satan and his demons. Because they already partook of this. In that state, they can never change. No demon can be converted. But you can be converted. Let me close with a small story, which we all know. In biology, they teach us about... I'm sure you, re- you read the word metamorphosis in biology. You know the butterfly lays an egg. What is the first stage of that egg? Caterpillar. I don't know if, I don't know if, I've seen, if you've seen caterpillar here. When we were growing up in Lagos, we had seasons in our compound. When we had cater- Some of these caterpillars had thorns. And they will eat and eat and all the green will become bare. Then suddenly, as suddenly as they appeared... They will all disappear. After a few weeks, the whole of our compound will be full of beautiful butterflies. We didn't know that until we studied biology. Then we said, okay, those wild caterpillars is what has produced these beautiful butterflies. God wants to change many of you wild caterpillars into beautiful butterflies. If you put the caterpillar and the butterfly together, do you, do you know that you can never see that this nature is what has produced this? So God wants to remove your nature. That nature of the caterpillar that seeks to eat everything in its path and destroy and give you the life of Christ, which seeks always to do good to all men. Let's bow our heads. And I want you to talk to God this evening. Say, Father, according to your word, let your change begin in my life. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. The, na- the change to the nature of Christ, the change to become like Christ, as you have promised in your word, let it be so in my life. Talk to the Lord, brethren. It's for yourself today. The Lord Jesus is telling us, as he said to the Ephesians, I know your works. I've seen how much, even in sickness, you will come to worship me. I have seen how much you spend for the sake of the gospel. I have seen how much energy and effort you put into preaching, that you put into going to save souls. But one thing is lacking. You do not love me yet, as you did at the beginning. You have, you have backslidden. You have gone away from me. You have rejected my spirit. That ought to have come in to circumcise your heart so that you can truly love me. And I can accept your works. Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. The Lord wants to be able to accept our works. He wants our works to be acceptable to Him. But He cannot break His own law. And so He has made a provision. I want us to pray that that prophecy, that promise, that proclamation that God has made concerning you. By reason of His foreknowledge of who you will be. That it will indeed come to pass in your life. That any, bar- any barrier, anything that will want to disrupt the Spirit of God to effectually walk in you be broken down in the name of Jesus. That anything that will seek to obstruct you from becoming who God wants you to be in Christ be crucified in the name of Jesus. Talk to the Lord, brethren. Talk to the Lord, brethren. This is the word of God to you and I. He wants us, He wants to accept our works. But He cannot because it is not by the Spirit of God. It is in the flesh. He can't do it as much as he wants to. Talk to the Lord, brethren. Talk to the Lord, brethren. Talk to the Lord, brethren. Let's stand to our feet. Salvation. Open my eyes, O Lord. I am ready. Open my eyes, O Lord. I am ready, open my eyes, O Lord. I am ready to obey. Open my ears, open. I am ready, open my ears, O Lord. I am 
come before you this evening. Lord, grant us according to your mercy. Change us as you have promised us in your word. We remove every restraint now and we invite your spirit into our hearts. We come and remove everything that is contrary to you, everything that is not pleasing to you. Come in, Lord, and transform us. Make us conformable and conformed to the image of your dear son, Jesus. Remove the old man from our lives. Firmly, firmly put in the new man, the nature of Christ, which after Christ is created, after God is created in true holiness and righteousness. Change us, Lord. Change us, Lord. Thank you so much for what you have shared with us this evening. In Jesus' name.